High Noon with George Hook. News Talk 106 to 108. It's time now for the Hook Health Checkup with uh, Dr. Kira Kelly, who's in studio with me. Kira, welcome to the programme. Thanks, George. Um, the text, by the way, for your uh, medical queries is 53106. We'll take them. If we can't get them this week, uh, we'll, we'll um, deal with them the following week. There's a, Sarah had a badly broken wrist with two surgeries. And then after the second surgery, when they take the pins out, she had tingling. And that's over a year ago. And she still is tingling because they think they hit a nerve with the pins. Now, when you have pins and you have broken wrists and you have surgery, isn't tingling part and parcel of it? No? Yeah, obviously, I mean, they said to her that they thought they might have hit a nerve. So obviously, whatever plate or pin was in from this orthopaedic surgery ran close to a nerve and they knew this was a possibility. We would often see after a surgery like that, that there could be some uh, neurological symptoms, some neuropathy post-operatively. But the fact that it has continued for a year or over a year now makes me think that it is very possibly, uh, unfortunately for Sarah, a permanent fixture now. And that's probably of some uh, cold comfort for her, in fairness. Uh, all right. But it's interesting that Sarah had this surgery. I I, I broke the, the scaphoid, which is a very small bone in your wrist. Yeah. And that was like 50 or 60 years ago playing rugby. But years later, like my wrist is a mess. Doesn't every break then you're not the same, no matter how much the surgeon tells you, your wrist or any other thing that breaks isn't the same. No, you're, you're, you're not wrong. If, if you have a, a, a trauma, a fracture or a surgery on a joint, yeah. that joint is not the same afterwards and you will be more likely to get arthritis in, the, in that joint okay. at an accelerated, accelerated rate. Right. Or if you break a bone or whatever, there will be a ridge on that bone, there will be a, a, a fracture point on that bone that has healed, yeah. but it is weakened. So yes, major trauma has consequences right, down get, the line. I, we have a lot of questions to get through. But in terms of the tingling, like you don't want somebody now to start to operate on your wrist again. You may just have to survive the tingling. You may have to because surgery may not make any difference. Right. But there are also medications that can be taken for neurological symptoms if they're, if they're so significant. Right. Now, sometimes we get questions and I get quite upset at the question, right? So when I get a question that your man says he's 31, and he says, for 16 years of calf and chin pain with jogging, running and walking up the hill. Now, if I read this correctly, he's had pain in the shins and everything since he was 15. Yeah. Why did he continue? Well, I, I, I think you, with your sporting background, George, would be familiar with people talk about shin splints, where, where people do... The, the muscles on the front of your shin are small, tight, short little muscles. And when you do... Uh, tear them or strain them they're, they're quite hard to get them they're not like the big meaty muscles on the back of your leg your hamstrings your glutes all that kind of stuff you know they, they're a different sort of kettle of fish no, but tackle the 16 years of it I, I think this guy is probably overtraining and since he was 15 and is, is chronically chronically uh, injured if you know what I mean so but wouldn't it be interesting if he stopped I, I, jogging, running and walking up the hills. I suggest that perhaps he should stop and he should move. I'm not suggesting he should stop exercise, but I think this person uh, jogging, running and all those things isn't suiting him. He's experiencing pain from doing so. So I would suggest oh, for him yeah. cycling, swimming, something different. Because he is seeing. He's now avoiding walking because it's debilitating. Yeah. The whole point, be as a big, the whole thing about swimming is there is no weight bearing on any joint. Yeah. 
Yeah. And he might be amazed, in fact, yeah. how, because there's now water aerobics, he might be amazed about what he might get. I mean, if it's good for horses, it must be good for animals. You know to put horses into swimming They do, pool. they do, indeed, and they do. Um, I think what it is, is this guy needs to, to change his exercise programme and move away from what's causing him pain, because when the body is in pain, it's because something is being injured and something is being hurt okay. by whatever you're doing, and move towards something that is exercise, but without pain. I want to give you some congratulations, by the way. I was in Cork on Saturday at a chemist shop and a fella came up to me and he asked me to give uh, you his thanks because in one of our early programmes, very early programmes, he was talking about the pain in his foot and he had to get an injection and he had to get the medication and everything else and you used the magic words, plantar fasciitis. He went away and got orthotics and he said he hasn't had any pain Ever again, <laughs> thanks to you. Good so, news, plantar fasciitis. Now, here's one. My wife has a problem. Every, every so often, she can't breathe and panics. Is there anything I can do by trying to cam- pan- calm her? Isn't, hasn't he got this sequence in the wrong order? You may be right. Uh, well, she panics and then she can't breathe as opposed to she can't breathe and then panics. Look, that is a chicken and an egg and people who have respiratory problems, like if you ever talk to anybody who has sort of brittle asthma where they're getting into, into actual asthma attacks where their breathing is compromised, it does induce panic because we instinctively know if we're not breathing properly that we're in trouble. So we, we do panic. But you're absolutely right. What is probably more common is people who become panic stricken for whatever reason. They're, they're having an anxiety attack. They're having a panic attack. And when they become panic stricken, one of the first things that goes is their breathing. But there's a direct correlation. I mean, we talk about hyperventilation. If you get any kind of a fright, like if you're crossing the road and you get nearly run down by a fella on a bicycle, uh, which happened to me last week you suddenly start breathing heavily now I, I don't panic because I'm not the nature to panic but but when you suddenly go uh, 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 panic naturally yeah. follows I think one of the things that, that this lady should do is first of all try and control her breathing because irrespective of whether the breathing is preceding the panic or the panic is preceding the breathing deliberately slowing down her breathing and trying to not panic is a good place to start with this. But if it is a, a, a situation of panic attacks, breathing exercise help, cognitive behavioural therapy helps, anxiety management helps. If it is a respiratory complaint, that's a slightly different thing and she may need inhalers I, or other right. types of medication. But I went to a lady once when I was stressed out uh, a few years ago and she talked about breathing. She was a kind of breathing consultant. Apparently... There are now breathing consultants. Did you know that? I did. Um, yes. And that the way you breathe affects your ability, helps you in terms of coping with your stress. Yeah, I, I think I think let's presume the more likely thing here is, is that the panic is preceding the breathing, as, as you rightly right. said. OK. Uh, I, and I think then what you do is you need to slow down your breathing. Some people actually will back breathe through a, a paper bag, as I think people do. Okay. But even just slow down your breathing. Try and breathe in slowly right. for a count of four and out slowly for a count of seven. That will slow your breathing right down. I think that's helpful. OK, but you must see this all the time. The next question. I was a dentist recently and he said that I want to listen to music. And I said to him, what the hell do I I want to listen to music for and just get on with it. And he said, because I want to give you an injection and, you know, the music will calm you down. I said, just go ahead and give it to me. But now I have a, a listener when confronted with needles, faints. 
you know, um, useless for the rest of the day, vomiting. And and this listener has to have bloods taken regularly. So every time somebody takes the bloods, they're fainting. Uh, what do they do? I mean, this is a genuine sort of panic uh, inducing situation for this person who is phobic about needles. And it is a phobia because it is it is an irrational fear. Getting an injection is about as painful as a, as a nasty pinch. So it's, it's not sort of life threatening or it's not excruciating, but people really do work themselves up about it. A couple of things is it's not such a big deal in the dentist because you're lying down already. But if you have to get a blood test in the doctors, I would suggest you should lie down in the doctors as well. Um, but you, if you see the needle, like it doesn't affect me, but clearly there are people. The minute what you, what this listener says, the minute I see the I think needle, that, that the person should keep their eyes closed and not see the needle. Now, no, but I'm, I'm not being facetious. No, I know, I know. Don't either. look at the needle. Uh, don't engage with the needle or any of that stuff. But I also right. think this. I think uh, that in addition to that, for some people who need to fly, for example, and are terrified of flying or need to have bloods taken and are terrified or a smear test, or there's lots of different things that freak people out and upset them. Very much so. In those cases where it is bad enough that it actually makes them avoid getting things done that they need to have done, a short term use of something like, and you could ask your doctor, could you have two milligrams or five milligrams of of a diazepam tablet? Initially, because one of the things people don't realise is is once you start having regular blood tests, for example, the fear goes out of it because actually the rational head kicks in and you realise that it's not that scary. But what about the simple answer, close your eyes? The, prob- the problem is, is 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 that you might nearly be having a panic attack as well in the waiting room, that you might actually not make the appointment to have the bloods, that you might not actually turn up in the surgery at all. People are terrified. I, I've known people. I know one woman who won uh, a trip, a holiday to America. It was worth thousands of euros and she won it and she was absolutely thrilled and she got to the airport and she couldn't get in the plane. And is that it? was fear, fear of flying. These fears are real. They're, they're, they're not. No, I'm not saying. I'm not saying they're, they're not real. I mean, I I get that with dogs. It's irrational. It's the but same. I get it. Yeah. yeah. There's a breathing method called Buteyiko. Would it be right? Buteyiko. Lots of demos on YouTube. You might. I do think that slow, deep breathing where your out breath is longer and is controlled and is longer than your in breath is very helpful. It's slowing people's heart rate, lowering people's blood pressure, calming them down and and getting that breathing steady again because either you're in control or the panic is in control and obviously ideally you'd be in control. What about the hot flushes? Have you got any non-hormonal uh, and all those natural remedies for hot flushes? Is this for menopause? Well I presume there isn't that the only time you get hot flushes? No? Not, not Men don't get hot w- flushes. They, well actually they do but 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 that's a separate issue. Um, yes there are and lots of women would in fact go rather than to the doctor or to the chemist would go to well I think chemists would sell them in fairness to them too Uh, to the health food store and there are supplements that people take they take sage they take soya they take menno herbs and there are there are supplements that are out there to deal specifically with the the symptoms that people experience during the menopause for the science heads out there are they actually stronger than placebo possibly not but placebo as we all know is an effect and some people definitely tell me that they've taken them and their symptoms have improved and if you can have something that you can take that improves your symptoms without the side effects of the hormones then that's probably a good thing. Now one of the advantages of having someone like me at my age doing a topic like this is there's a huge number of these things I've got right so there's a fellow who says he's 44 and his vision when he wakes up in the morning is very blurred doctor says uh, it happens 
Now, every time, if I wake up in the morning, or more importantly, in the middle of the night, and I I reach for my Kindle, uh, I can't, uh, I can't see it. And then I have to wait. So uh, the presumption is this is normal. I think a couple of things. I think there is some changes to our vision when we have been awake or asleep and going from one to the other because when we are because of our pupils dilating and contracting. Okay, so if your pupils are are in a sleep mode and then you wake up and then you open them to the light and they they haven't quite reacted, your vision could be subtly blurred in the very, very tiny short term. If it's more than that, then I don't agree with this man's doctor that at 40 it's okay to have your vision blurred for a period of the day or whatever. But he doesn't really say that. He says when I wake up in the morning it's very blurred. Well, I I would be inclined to think that this probably warrants at least a visit to an eye doctor or at least to an optometrist because, you know, fluctuating changes in people's vision is, is not a good thing. Well, this fella doesn't wear glasses. So I would have thought the first thing he ought to be doing is in front of the gadget saying A-Z-W-T. All of that, oh. yeah, yeah. I, I just think that he probably needs an eye test. I mean, I'm in my 40s and my vision is perfect when I wake up in the mornings. And so I don't think this is just an age-related, oh yes, all our eyes go blurry when we turn 40 for a while when we wake up. I don't think that is the but case. But maybe we've just discovered some new medical condition. I don't condition think that is the case. That when you wake up early in the morning, you don't, your vision is blurred. I would what you're saying to me when I say I wake up in the morning and my vision is blurred. In fairness, you think you have everything that people ring in with. So I, I, I would suggest that that may be influencing things. Okay. I, I think this guy should go and have an eye test. All right. Now, one that worries always is a question with more, with, in which the question has more than 17 letters. And for instance, if you have a 36-year-old female with four kids with a stress-related left ventricular tachycardia plus yep. asthma, right? Am I, am I, you know what that is? I do. Uh, but all the way this female, the weight has dropped below six stone, even though five foot four. Now, this is dramatic. Six stone is dramatic. I know, it's very dramatic. This is somebody who has an SVT, so their heart intermittently races, and it races very fast, I would imagine, from this. Is pop- this arrhythmia? Uh, well, it's a form of arrhythmia right, okay. in that the heart is going probably 120, 130 beats per minute and, and all that kind of stuff. And they have asthma. But, but I think, critically she's five foot four and she's five stone something she's grossly underweight she's dangerously low in terms of weight and she's saying something that's quite interesting because I get asked this all the time I'm trying to eat healthy and I need to put on back no she should eat unhealthy well, well it's not that it's unhealthy food I think this is a very important message George food is fuel Okay, food is not inherently good or inherently bad. It is fuel. If you are overweight, we suggest the fuel you put in your engine is, you know, high in in, in vegetables and and salads and all that kind of stuff. If you are grossly underweight, you need more calorie dense food, which is neither good nor bad. It hasn't got a moral judgment at all. She needs to have a croissant with jam and butter of a morning and all that kind of stuff. Or cheesecake. Any of these things because she needs calorie dense. chocolate ice cream. It's like when we have somebody, for example, who is unwell and going through chemotherapy, maybe with cancer or something, they're finding it very hard to maintain weight. We don't suggest that they should have a slice of avocado for their lunch, even though avocado is clearly a healthy food. We try and get calories in, calorie dense, calorie rich foods. And I think we have to move away from the mindset that food is good or bad or healthy or unhealthy. Food is suitable for you in your given set of circumstances. And this woman is five stone. This woman needs to eat calories and she needs to eat lots of calories. And to get volume 
of, of uh, into her in terms of low calorie food she hasn't got a hope she needs to start eating calorie dense food which means butter which means fat which means cream which means ice cream which means sugar things that she thinks in her minds are unhealthy but they're not unhealthy if you're underweight in fact she needs to be built back up but she's grossly right, underweight but she has this heart rate that goes up to 120 is it normal that people with heart rates that go up to 120 lose weight I think there's something going on here because what she actually says is she has an SVT but she says it's stress related uh, and she talks about having four kids I think this is a woman who is skinny like a whippet and very stressed and and, and struggling with that whole piece. I think she's somebody who needs to deal with her stress and stress will make your asthma worse. Stress will probably make your your cardiac arrhythmia worse. And also the stress level is contributing to her being grossly underweight. And all of this seems to me that she's coming back to an acute stress or acute anxiety situation. And she needs to eat more, but she's never going to be able to eat enough kale to put weight on. She's going to have to eat different food. And she's going to have to deal with her stress levels. She's obviously very, very worked up. I was mentioning I was down Cork at the weekend and I met a young fella who'd just gone into second year, right? So he's 13 and he's looking into my eyes, right? So he's over six foot tall, 13. Now there's this kid who's we got a message about who's 16, left leg, upper bone, grew faster than muscle, went to GP, got a pain relief. Is there anything to worry about? Um, growing pains is not just a phrase used by your mother. By old wives. No, it's not. Um Bones grow at growth plates. So they grow, for example, a very common place that people get pain would be uh, just below their knee because that's where the, the lower bone in the in their leg grows pr- predominantly and they, they get pain and, and, and soreness there and it affects their ability to do sport and things. Young lads, when they're going through growth spurts, they can grow very quickly. I know my own guy, I think he grew nine inches one year between the ages of about 13 and 14. He just shot up. And of course, there is some some growing pains associated with that. I, I'm not sure whether they're actually telling us that, that one leg is now longer than the other or not. Uh, I I wouldn't be overly uh, convinced about, about that, to be honest. But I think for this guy, what he should be doing is, is he should be taking maybe a little bit of norofen for the pain or paracetamol for the pain and maybe wait, if it is only growing pains, wait for his body to All sort right. of catch back up with him. All right, Dr. Kiara Kelly, thanks for joining me. Coming up next, Sean Moncrief. 